Welcome to the Spot Doctor Podcast. I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. Today we're talking about how to reset your sleep habits for physical and emotional well-being. My guest is Dr. Katherine Darley, who is internationally recognized as a leader in naturopathic sleep medicine. She is the director of the Institute of Naturopathic Sleep Medicine in Seattle, and her clinical work focuses on, on the treatment of sleep disorders in both children and adults using behavioral and naturopathic medicine. She also trains corporate employees and emergency personnel on a variety of sleep performance and safety issues. She also is adjunct faculty at Bastyr University and National University of Natural Medicine. Dr. Darley's volunteer efforts have focused on Start School Later. This program is both in Seattle and nationally, and she has served on the board of the Washington Association of Naturopathic Physicians. In today's interview, we discuss how poor sleep impacts your physical, emotional, and social well-being. So not only does it affect you physically and the way you feel, but also how you appear, how you look, and your emotional health and your ability to interact well with others. Dr. Darley shares how to know you've gotten the right amount of sleep and tips to set you up to design a sleep healthy lifestyle. So please enjoy this interview. Catherine, it's so great to have you on the Spot Doctor podcast. Welcome. Great. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we're talking about sleep today and sleep is so important, especially when we're stressed. And then when we're stressed, we have harder time with sleep. And so we definitely want to figure out how can we sleep better. But first, before we talk about ways to improve our sleep, let's talk about the real issue of what lack of sleep does to us. Yeah, I would like to um, dive into that. I think about it in five domains, Trevor, that you've got your physical health and your mental health. So inadequate sleep raises blood pressure. It makes inflammation worse, you know, on that physical realm. We've got the cognitive, uh, the emotional piece, right? Anxiety, depression, worse with sleep problems. And then I think about the two domains of performance, our physical performance and our cognitive performance. Everything from simple memory, remembering someone's name, to really more complex problem solving. What am I going to do about this challenging situation? That whole broad range of cognitive performance is impaired. And then of course, physical performance. Uh, typically we think about drowsy driving, right? Many of us drive, if we're not getting adequate sleep, we're more at risk. And then the domain that I want to focus on the most today is how sleep impacts our emotional intelligence and our ability to get along well with others, which is such a key part of our quality of life. And sleep can really have a big impact on that. Yeah, it's so true. And I think all of us have experienced those days where we don't get enough sleep and we tend to be a little bit more irritable, a little less patient. We may notice it while we're driving or we may notice it with our kids um, or with our partners and, and or at work. And certainly it's not something that we, we know that it's not our best self that's showing up. So, um, so let's talk about more of this and, and absolutely, you know, physical health is an important part of sleep, but today we're focusing or right now we're focusing really on the emotional aspect of it. 
And, and so, you know, I'm kind of wondering with, with what, what are the kind of warning signs that you typically tell people to look for and, and knowing that this is, this is definitely an issue for you? Well, um, you know, I think it's what you've shared about the experience we've, many of us have had of we haven't slept well and we can tell we're just a little bit more irritable or whatnot. And um, the research really actually plays that out. And there's a lot of, it's kind of a growing area of evidence. One of the things that happens is that if I'm sleep deprived and I look at your face, Trevor, I can't tell if you're happy or angry. So think about how that is going to manifest then if I can't tell if you're happy or angry, I can't necessarily respond appropriately, right? And so that's going to have a negative effect on relationships and just your overall wellness. Um, the other things that we know is decision making gets much more uh, rule based. So a person isn't able to necessarily take in the nuances of the situation. They're just like, X equals Y and that's it. There's no A, B, or C that we're gonna take into consideration. Um, we also find that when people aren't getting adequate sleep, they rate their bad experiences as much worse and their good experiences as eh, ho-hum. So uh, just even your enjoyment of life gets worse. So you asked about red flags. Um, I think if you are feeling irritable, if you find yourself um, snapping or kind of have a, having an out of character negative reaction, you know, flying off the handle, that would be um, something. If you're finding uh, you feel kind of that Eeyore feeling like, uh, nothing's good, you know, think about that um, Winnie the Pooh character Eeyore. Those would be some red flags. If you find, uh, you know, in the workplace, there's lots of evidence that when people are getting good sleep, either sufficient sleep or they have sleep disorders, they're not able to regulate their interactions and they're more likely to uh, write an email that's not appropriate or uh, sit at their desk. And yes, they are physically at their workstation, but they're just not getting their work done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then there, you know, there's the occasional difficulty getting a good night's sleep and then there's chronic sleep problems, right? And that, so even one night's sleep can make an, I mean, an, an, not a good night's sleep. One, one of those can make a difference in your day. But if you're having it on an ongoing basis, it becomes a chronic problem, right? Right. So anything that you want to talk about as far as that's concerned? And, and then the other question I have just to kind of play into that is, what is a good night's sleep too? And yeah. Yeah, so uh, a good night's sleep can be elusive for many people, and uh, that's a great question. What makes a good night's sleep? I think uh, falling asleep within about 30 minutes or less uh, is a, one of the features of a good night's sleep. Sleeping through the night, we think of as a good night's sleep, uh, with the exception of maybe one bathroom break, but it shouldn't be more than one, uh, regardless of your age, actually. And then waking up feeling refreshed and restored and ready for your day. Um, because of our circadian rhythm, it is typical that a person would have a little dip in their alertness about one to three o'clock in the afternoon. 
but otherwise your energy should be pretty good until um, close to bedtime. Right. So for people who say I have to take a nap in the afternoon, um, that's not a good sign, right? Right. I think that, you know, there's certainly situations where a person may develop a nap lifestyle where they're regularly taking a nap. Maybe they're, uh, they have to get up super early for work, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning for work, and they're getting off early in the afternoon. In that case, having a nap lifestyle may make sense. It's when people say they have to, or they're falling asleep unintentionally. Those are more red flags for us. Right. And so then that other part of what I was talking about is that, you know, we occasionally have, will have these difficulties with a night's sleep, but then there are the people that have it basically every night. They're struggling with one or all of those things that you mentioned. And I, in particular, that key part is that how you feel when you wake up. Right. You might be like, well, I slept through the night, but I still wake up feeling terrible. Yes. So um, we really encourage people, if they've had sleep difficulties for a month, then it's time to get help. One of the things that we see in the literature is that often people will, will wait sometimes years to uh, get help from a professional for their sleep. Uh, and so I encourage you, you know, if you do see that you're having this problem, uh, even if it hasn't been years, go and get help from your primary care physician, from a sleep specialist, uh, from some licensed healthcare professional, just so that it doesn't uh, linger on and on. Unfortunately, people's baseline of, um, their baseline awareness of how impaired they are by sleep can decline. So if you're sleep deprived or having a sleep disruption for very many days in a row, the first couple days you are aware of, I don't feel good, I'm not cognitively snappy, I'm a danger on the road. But after about three nights of not sleeping well, your baseline gets adjusted down to so you just lose the sensitivity and you suddenly uh, think, oh, well, I guess I'm doing okay on this amount of sleep, when really if we measure your performance, you're, you're impaired. I think of it kind of as similar to alcohol, right? The first drink, the second drink, you might be sensitive to how it's affecting you, but after the third or fourth drink, many people lose their awareness of how uh, impaired they are. And how much sleep do you think people need? I think that adults need somewhere between six and 10. It's um, a bell curve where we think most adults need somewhere around eight. Um, three to four percent of adults need only six. And then one to two percent of healthy, normal adults need 10 hours. And it's really important for a person to calibrate to how much sleep they need. Um, you know, if you're someone who needs nine hours and you're getting eight, it may sound like you're getting plenty to your friends and family. But that means you're an hour sleep deprived every night and uh, having all those performance and emotional intelligence problems because of that. And there are some also when you're in, um, it can change your physical appearance too if you're not getting um, a good a night's sleep. 
It, it really does. There's been some really uh, interesting studies where they ask people to look at photographs of folks when they're well rested and when they're uh, sleep deprived. And interestingly enough, when a person is sleep deprived, raiders will say that they're less intelligent, they're less attractive, and they look tired. Um, we do see that because of an increase in inflammation. Uh, actually not getting sufficient sleep or having disrupted sleep causes an increase in, in inflammation, which can result in reddened skin, it can result in, in black circles under the eyes, bloodshot eyes. Um, we also see that um, our appetite is very, very sensitive to sleep deprivation and it'll actually change our appetite hormones. So we eat more calories. Um, women will tend to eat about 320 more calories a day if they are sleep deprived and men a little bit less around, three, uh, excuse me, 280 calories uh, more each day when they're sleep deprived. And uh, you know, that can have a cumulative effect, right? Uh, many people are struggling with their weight and sleep could be one piece of the uh, solution there. Right, right. And, and it certainly affects us socially, too. And this is particularly a concern right now because of all the stress that we have on our lives and the, the, the limited in social interactions, and then, but then having to kind of go back to some of that. So anything else you want to mention about that? Yeah, I wanted to mention that there is an emerging body of knowledge about sleep and loneliness that uh, when we are lonely, we do not sleep as well. And uh, years ago, when I um, was first in my practice, a couple years into my practice with patients, I came home one day and I, I said I was gonna change the name of my business. And so the family was really curious about that. And I said I was gonna change it from sleep center to sleep and dating center. Because, which is, you know, obviously not true, facetious comment, but what I had observed is that when we were talking about people's sleep problems, uh, and I would ask, you know, what are you thinking about at night or what's troubling you at night? Many times people had those really big questions about, about social connections. You know, am I ever going to find a partner? Will I ever have children? How can I find people who just really click with me? And um, a couple years after I made that observation, there started to be this research coming out showing that when people say that they're lonely, they don't sleep well. It's correlated with insomnia symptoms. And even right now in this uh, pandemic, there's some new research looking at uh, the sleep of healthcare providers in China. And those who say that they have high levels of social capital, social connection, actually sleep better than those um, people who are, you know, these are healthcare providers, so they're very stressed, right? They have high demand right now, uh, worries with this pandemic, and the ones who don't have um, high rates of social connection and social capital are actually sleeping worse than those who do. Yeah, I, I think it becomes such a big problem for us. So it certainly 
we definitely want to improve our sleep and so many people struggle with sleep. Um, so let's talk about the solution on this. What are some of the things that people can do? Obviously this is a problem. So let's talk about the solution. Yeah. Right. No use talking about a problem if you're not going to get to some solutions. Right. Right. Uh, so um, the most common sleep disorder, there are many, there's six main classes of sleep disorders. The main uh, sleep disorder that we see most commonly is actually insufficient sleep. Uh, even just in this first quarter of 2020, we see that the percent of people, um, adults in America getting sufficient sleep has actually declined by 5%. Currently, we're at about 49% of adult Americans getting seven to eight hours, which is considered really the very minimum uh, for most people. So that means over half of us are not getting the sleep that we need. So I'd like to um, suggest to your viewers that they do kind of an optimal sleep challenge. And what I mean by that is to think back to a time that you were really well rested. And those five domains that I talked about, uh, physical, mental health, cognitive, uh, physical performance, and emotional intelligence, all of those five domains were going really well for you. Um, and come up with your ideal sleep number. How much sleep do you really do best and you're at the top of your game? Um, and then try to get that amount of sleep for 10 nights in a row and see you know, how it pays out for you and if it's worth it. I think um, many people can tell you, um, you know, if you ask them, you, they can say, well, I think I do best with X number of hours. Maybe they do best with nine hours of sleep each night, which would not be unusual. And um, the other part of the coin that I think people don't necessarily think about is if you're programmed for nine hours of sleep at night, that means you've got 15 hours in the day. So if you're gonna go from <clears throat> uh, being sleep deprived by an hour or two every night, and you're gonna increase your sleep to what you need, that means you're gonna have to shorten down your day uh, commitments, right? You're gonna have to intentionally uh, decide not to do some things that you've been spending your time on. You'll have to maybe delegate some tasks to other family members or people in your life. Um, you know, it's going to have to be kind of well thought out to be able to shrink your daytime commitments to enlarge your sleep to the amount that you need. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that making that adjustment and, and planning your schedule around that does make sense. And of course, there's going to be some time of adjustment, but right. then in the long run, it's going to get a, uh, provide some great benefits. Yes, right. So then there's other um, components of a sleep healthy lifestyle. That's how I think of it, is you want to design a sleep healthy lifestyle. One of the things that's really different for us in modern culture is our light exposure. Um, I like people to really think about, you know, ancestors 150, 200 years ago, how, how much light were they getting during the day? How much darkness were they getting at night? Um, I think we kind of can take for granted uh, how very, very different our light exposure is to what people um, lived with throughout most of human history. Um, 
what I would say the modern light experience is we get a little bit of light during the day and we get a little bit of light during the night instead of getting a lot of light uh, during the day and a tiny little bit of light maybe a candle right um, at night and that really actually makes a huge difference in your sleep because of your physiology um, if there's enough light that you can hold your hand um, out arm's length and see your fingers wiggling that is enough light to suppress your melatonin and melatonin is a sleep hormone that we want to have increasing even before we hit the sheets um, in that kind of sunset period our melatonin will start to rise so that we're sleepy when we get to bed that yeah, that, that's a great one I, I've, never, I've never heard that one before but that's great and then of course no no extra lights on um, a lot of people have there's like something with the tv or the alarm clock or various things throughout the room that have little bits of light emitting that can add up they really do add up and um you know a hack that uh people can easily do is you can look up a lux meter on your phone and and just there's free apps that you can easily download called lux meter l-u-x meter and it uses your phone to measure light levels and so you can check how light is it in my bedroom we want it to be three lux or less um, at night interesting um and yeah and i I don't, you know, I think it's hard for people who live in cities because light, it never gets really dark at night. And even in Park City, Utah, I've lived here for 11 years now. And when I first moved here at night, you could see the stars. It was really, really dark. And now I, I absolutely have to pull my curtains closed because the, you know, in the neighborhood there or, you know, nearby businesses, the lights are still on. So it just creates more light outdoors. And so we don't see the stars as much as we used to here. So right. I think it's something to be aware of is how, how dark is it naturally where you live? Yes. And then the other thing to think about is how much light are you getting in the morning? We want people to get at least 20 minutes of bright outside light. Um, as soon as they can after they get up. And uh, using light in that way actually causes kind of a teeter-totter effect on your melatonin. And by that, I mean, when you first wake up, your melatonin is still a little bit elevated and that bright light will suppress it. And as it's suppressing your melatonin in the, in the morning, it's also going to cause a higher pulse of melatonin at night and a little bit earlier, which is gonna help you feel sleepy at bedtime. So, um, you know, daytime light exposure is also equally as important as getting darkness at night. Um, and then you wanna be getting pulses of bright outside light every two to three hours, at least 10 minutes. Um, some research has looked at uh, office workers and their sleep. The office workers who are in uh, a room that doesn't have any windows and has uh, relatively dim indoor light, they don't sleep as well as their colleagues who are next to a window or go outside on their breaks. 
Right. So that definitely gives, that's a great tip for people who work indoors primarily that to get outdoors, especially if you don't have windows in your office or school. <laughs> Maybe school right. can start allowing kids to get outdoors and, um, and get some sunlight too. Yes. Um, the other thing that I want to just um, say, you know, during this time when many of us are working from home and uh, space might be crowded, um, is to, as best you can, uh, insulate your bedroom as a place just for sleep. That can be challenging. Um, I know even in our household, uh, we now have four out of five people who are 100% working from home all the time, and it's uh, challenging to have enough space to separate work areas and sleep areas. One thing that you can do if you need to have a work area in your bedroom is to have um, a decorative cloth, maybe a decorative um, bedspread or tablecloth or something that you put over your workstation when you're done with it, just as a visual cue that you're off duty. Uh, that's important. And then the other challenge that people are having at this time is that our routines are off. And, um, you know, we've talked about sleep. The other aspect that feeds into our sleep health is the circadian rhythm and having your meal times at a regular time and getting up at the same time every day um, and having your main task of the day, whether it's uh, homemaking or work or school or whatever it is that you're focused on, having that happen at the same time each day is really going to help your sleep and mental health. Um, did you, did do you, you have, have another suggested adjustments for different times of the year? I mean, I think when we talk about you know, days being shorter, longer, do you suggest people adjust depending upon how much light there is outside? We do see that melatonin levels are somewhat higher during the winter. Um, and so some people find that they need a little bit more sleep. Uh, and otherwise, no, no main adjustments. Um, you know, in the, as you get further north, you're not necessarily going to be able to get bright light outside right when you wake up. And in that season, you might consider using a light box um, at home in the morning, um, if that's, you know, if you find that you do, are really benefiting from the light. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, I'd like to kind of end, uh, Trevor, with a strategy to put your thoughts to rest. Sorry, my voice is a little froggy here. <coughs> I like your mug for people who uh, oh, are yeah. just listening and can't see your mug. It's pretty, pretty colorful and cute. Uh, okay, so the tip that I'd like to um, leave your listeners with is for people who are ruminating at night, thinking things through, right, which is really common uh, problem for people to have, that thoughts are intrusive. So the first step with this is to really think about your daytime and your nighttime as very different purposes and kind of give yourself permission to be off duty at night. You know, we have a lot of roles and responsibilities, doctor, mother, friend, daughter, community member, etc. Um, 
And to really think, okay, well, I'm going to take care of these roles and responsibilities during daytime and night sleep hours are going to just be for restoring and being ready for the next day, ready to be my best the next day. And that's really, um, I think, a novel idea for people that you don't have to take your roles to bed with you, right? The second thing to help with that is to spend 10 minutes, uh, about an hour or two before bed, just dumping those thoughts onto paper, whether it's um, a narrative, full sentence diary type journal, or if it's just you know, problem solution brainstorming or to-do list or whatever you need to do to um, put your thoughts onto the paper and then put those thoughts to bed and you're done with those thoughts. And then if you um, start thinking in the night, you tell yourself, I already thought about that. I will have time tomorrow. Now's my time to rest, which is a limit setting skill that we can use on our with ourselves right um, i encourage people if they are thinking about stuff in the middle of the night to do this practice for 30 days it's a skill and like any skill you get better with time um, and i think that will be really helpful some of the strategies people sometimes hear about is to keep a, a pencil and paper at your bedside and in the middle of the night jot thoughts down I'm actually not a fan of that because it's reinforcing that you should be thinking things through in the middle of the night. And what you really want to do is make enough time in the middle of the day or in the evening to think things through and say, okay, I'm going to sleep now. I'm not going to be vigilant to my thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think I've done it some where I, I have, I mean, I have a journal by my bed anyway, and there have been a couple of times I've woken up and then thought, I don't know that I'm going to remember this tomorrow, so I will write it down. But typically when I wake up and I have a thought, I think if it's really that important, I'm going to remember it tomorrow. Right now is my time to sleep and I'm going to do better tomorrow getting that thing done if I can right. sleep right now. <laughs> That's, that's perfect self-talk to get yourself back to sleep and really um, prioritize your sleep and the restorative effects you can have. Well, these are really fantastic tips. I think, you know, and I do love that you talk about getting a reset, that you have to follow these things for 30 days to really get back, to reach, to train yourself how to sleep because we forget, we just get busy. And with all the electronics and the lights and the busyness, and especially with what's been happening, people working and during their school at home, we've lost this sense of rhythm and respect of boundaries and, and routine. And to give yourself 30 days to get a reprogram, I think is a great idea. Yeah, I think that, you know, sleep is one of those things that increases your happiness. Yeah. And I think it's worth doing, therefore. Yeah, absolutely. Happiness and, of course, health, too. Right. Well, Catherine, it's been so great having you on the podcast. We tell everybody where they can learn more about you and, and follow up with you if they want to reconnect. Um, yeah, so... My um, website is naturalsleepmedicine.net. That's a great way to um, just learn more about my work. I'm on Twitter at Natural Sleep Doctor and Facebook too. Great. All right. Well, thanks again, Catherine, for coming on. I so appreciate it. Yeah, great. 
thank you very much, Dr. Cates, and it was a pleasure to talk with everybody. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Katherine Darley. To learn more about her or to get the links to her clinic, you can go to thespadoctor.com, go to the podcast page with her interview, and you'll find the information and links there. And while you're there, I invite you to join the Spot Doctor community so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows and information. And since the skin is an outer reflection of inner health, it's important to know what's behind that. So if you haven't taken the skin quiz yet, you can go to theskinquiz.com and find out what messages your skin might be trying to tell you about your health and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. Also, I invite you to join the Spot Doctor on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Pinterest. You can join us there. And I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor podcast.